welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. So would you please welcome my good friend, David Bailey. Man, so glad to be uh, here with you all. Can you all hear me pretty well? Good, good. All right, so I come from an African-American preacher tradition, so preaching is uh, not a monologue, it's a dialogue. And so, uh, you know, I love to get some feedback, um, and it also helps the sermons to be a lot shorter. So, <laughs> you know, you can choose your own adventure. Um, the word Arabon means a foretaste of things to come. And the way it's used in the New Testament, it's a Greek word that uh, means uh, uh, that the Holy Spirit, a deposit, a uh, uh, a foretaste. And the way it's used in the New Testament is that the Holy Spirit is given to the church as a foretaste of the heaven that is to come. You know, you ever in a time of worship and it's just like such a sweet thing, you sense the presence of God and it's like, oh, this might be what heaven is like. Well, the world doesn't get the Holy Spirit. What the world gets is the church. And so for better or for worse, we are a foretaste of what, a representation of what heaven is like. And so sometimes, like if somebody, uh, you invite somebody to say like, hey, do you want to go to heaven? And people might be like, well, do I have to be there with you or your community? I don't know about that, you know? But really what it should be is that like, you say, hey, come to my church. People that doesn't make any sense whatsoever that they're together are actually living together as spiritual family. And this is the heartbeat behind our ministry, where we really try to equip Christian leaders in their communities with the practical stuff of how to be a foretaste of things to come. So is anybody interested for that journey? Can I get an amen if you are? All right, let me, one more time. We're going to practice this. Can I get an amen? Yeah. All right. So I was at this um, conference one time, and this guy was speaking, and he um, gave an exercise both for the men and the women to do. And basically what the exercise was, you had a, a group of words and you had to punctuate the, these groups of words. And this is what it was. The, the, the group of words read this, a woman without her man is nothing. And so they, the men had a good opportunity to punctuate this and then the women had a good opportunity to punctuate this. And so there was a guy that just took his hand up and said, that's really easy. Put, put a, a period on it. And so he says, a woman without her man is nothing, period. And there was a guy that was a little bit more woke and said, no, 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 no. That's not how you punctuate it. You um, put it in a question mark. A, wom a woman without her man is nothing? And so it came time for the women to actually punctuate this, and this is what they came up with. A woman without her man is nothing, period. <laughs> what this tells you is that you can have the same amount of information, but depending on your perspective, you can come away with different meanings. And this is so true of also of how we understand the gospel. It's that depending on about our perspectives, we can come up even with different meanings of something as core as the gospel. And this is kind of true uh, considering the times in which we're in. There was a, a really great uh, social, uh, cultural uh, critic that said this about um, our times. He says this, but the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, 
forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. Every day I meet young people whose disappointment with the church has turned into outright disgust. Just by show of hands, has anybody seen this in, in our society? We got a few people that have seen that. Now, question, does anybody know who said this? This was Dr. Martin Luther King in his 1963 letter from the Birmingham jail uh, letter. Now, isn't that amazing? That almost over 50 years ago, uh, Dr. King was able to name what is going on today as if he just wrote this in the New York Times last week. That there is something about the church that we have to capture the, 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 the essence of what it was that God was doing in the first century church. And one of the things I would name is the thing that God was doing in the first century church was birthing a reconciling community. We are to be a foretaste of a reconciled kingdom that is to come. And so that means that part of what we have to recapture is being a reconciling community. Can I get an amen? So just out of the spirit and honoring of the Word of God, I want to look to the Acts uh, 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 2 text to give us some, some, some insight of what does it look like to be a reconciling community. And maybe this will give us some insight of what God might want to do here at Awakening. Just if you are able, could you rise in body or spirit as we read the Word of God? So Acts 2, 42-47 reads this way. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If you would, just open your hands up to receive something from the Lord. God, we, we all stand here with our hands open and our hearts open and our minds open just to receive what it is that you will want to speak to us as we break the bread of the Word of God. Lord, we pray that we just won't uh, have a time of intellectual information, but it would be spiritual transformation. Lord, I pray that you would uh, uh, um, use me as a vessel, that people would be able to hear what it is that you're saying. And if there's any distraction that I might cause, Lord, that you would just, uh, uh, um, just hide me behind the cross and help people to hear what it is that you call them to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. All of God's people say amen. You may be seated. So there are three ideas that I want to communicate to you today about uh, uh, what the first century church understood as what it is to be a reconciling community. Number one, that they were faithful fanatics. Number two, they were fearless freedom fighters. And number three, they were focused family members. Could you repeat that after me? Number one, they were what? Faithful fanatics. Number two, fearless freedom fighters. And number three, focused family members. Come on, one more time. Let's say that we got some conviction. They were one, faithful fanatics, fearless freedom fighters, and focused family members. Now, it's my understanding that it's football season, 
And it might be a couple of faithful fanatics of the Vikings, maybe. Is that true? I don't think y'all are real fanatics of this. They're not convincing me right now. Do y'all even know what football is like? <laughs> uh, or maybe there could be some Green Bay Packer fans. Oh, wow. Okay. So we know the loyal fans are. Chicago Bears, they haven't won anything since I don't know when, but you got faithful fanatics of Chicago Bears. And you know, when you're a faithful fanatic, you orient your schedule around making sure that you could be there for your team. Now, everybody's not into sports or football or basketball, but, you know, some people are faithful fanatics of TV shows. Anybody familiar with the show The Gilmore Girls? Any faithful fanatics of The Gilmore Girls? Like, I remember when Netflix did this uh, um, revival and they kind of brought it back and there were so many people that oriented their schedule to find out, I want to know what Rory has been up to. <laughs> now, you know, some of y'all might not be faithful fanatics of uh, the Gilmore Girls, but uh, anybody familiar with this TV show right here, The Game of Thrones? Um, now, y'all supposed to be Christians, but I hear <laughs> that... Um, I, I, I hear that this is... Um, a really good show. I haven't seen it. And like the people who are faithful fanatics of the Game of Thrones, what they, they tell me, they say, David, oh man, this show is so good. You might not want to watch it before you preach, but it's such a great show. And folks oriented their lives around making sure they knew what was going on with the Game of Thrones. Now, here's my question. What are Christians in the United States are known for? What do we call, what are we known for being faithful fanatics of? In David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons' book, Unchristian, it said they did some surveys, and it says that, that, that Christians in the United States are known for being faithful fanatics of conservative politics and basically what we're against. And see, what's the reaction to this has been there's a new generation of folks that are maybe more faithful fanatics of being progressive, and their kind of reaction against some of the older generation but let me suggest that the Scripture tells us that Christians ought to be faithful fanatics of Jesus. Like, like we shouldn't be reactionary. We shouldn't be uh, uh, totally against, like, particularly one party or the next. But we need to be faithful fanatics of Jesus. Now, I thought that was an easy amen on that. But, you know, <laughs> maybe we got some more discipleship to do, brother. I don't know. Like, so, so when we're faithful, what does that even look like? That means that we are people that are, you can't be a faithful fanatic if you're not a person devoted in prayer. You can't be a faithful fanatic if you're not a person that's devoted to reading of the scriptures, not just only on Sunday when somebody comes and preach or even the singing of songs when there's a band, but there needs to be some orienting of our life where we are faithful fanatics giving over to a spiritual devotion to Jesus. And see, I, I'm one of these old school people that still believes that holiness is right. That, that means that, that, that when you um, live according to the, the, the creeds of what Jesus has done for you, then you say, hey, I need to, to, to live a life worthy of what Jesus has done. And so we have a new generation of folks that maybe want to be committed to the justice part of Jesus, but not the devotion part of Jesus. And we have to be an and, or, and both versus an either or type of Christian community. So one of the things that I hope 
that you all will take away today is that you would have a new devotion to be a faithful fanatic of Jesus and people don't have to wonder whether or not you love Jesus or not. But there is something about the way that you order your life that says, you know what, I'm going to be transformed by the power of Jesus in my devotional life. Can I get an amen on that? It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe and the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. See, another way of saying that, as these brothers and sisters were fearless freedom fighters. See, they they weren't just only concerned about, like, them and their own family, which is a very un-American version of Christianity where oftentimes our vision of the kingdom of God is America 2.0, that as long as like, we, we, like, we have Jesus and have enough money to take care of ours and our own families and our own stuff, then, 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 then we, you know, we should be fine. As long as we kind of go to church on Sunday and be nice to people, give a little bit of money. But, but these, these brothers and sisters had a revelation of Jesus that was transformative. It says all the believers were together and had everything in common, and they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. See, if you don't really understand the context of the first century church, then then you might just kind of impose our 2019 understanding of sales of property. See, in the the first century church, it wasn't like uh, um, they had that kind of uh, uh, economy like we have right now, where if I wanted to sell you my house or you, I wanted to buy your house, as long as we had enough money and we came to an agreement on property, then, you know, we could, we could sell and buy as many properties as we can afford to do. But if you had property in the first century church, like one, you were like well taken care of for life. It probably also meant that you were pretty well connected to um, uh, the Roman Empire and that, that you know, that somebody with some power was able to either get you some property or you were a part of a family that inherited property. And so maybe the best way to think about in our modern context of what does it look like to, 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 to have everything in common and to sell property and possessions to give that everyone had need, think about emptying out your 401k. Think about your retirement plan. And what this text is saying is that because people were so committed to uh, uh, their security of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus and loving their family members, that they were willing to empty out their 401k for the sake of others. So that nobody in their community, in their spiritual family, would be lacking anything. My life is kind of similar to... Uh, Forrest Gump, that movie. Have you seen that, mo- that movie, Forrest Gump? It was just a simple-minded dude that was just like in these really fascinating spaces. And one day, I found myself and my wife, or um, a friend of ours, invited us to a plantation in South Carolina. And so we're on this plantation in South Carolina, and here's the nature of the conversation. It was a friend of ours that we've been on a reconciliation journey, uh, living in the same neighborhood, the same community. And she's been reading this Acts 2 and Acts 4 text, and she invites uh, my wife and I and a couple of two other African-American uh, um, families to have a conversation that says, hey, she says, I have been, I've inherited a quarter of a million dollars just because I am somebody's grandchild. She's a grandchild of a very, very wealthy uh, family. And just because of the fact 
that she is somebody's granddaughter. She has a quarter of a million dollars sitting in her bank account. And she says, I've been just reading this text, and I just see the work of reconciliation means that maybe you might need to repair some things that are going on. And there are some people in our community that did not inherit a quarter of a million dollars. They might have inherited debt, or they might have inherited a difficulty to mobilize in society and to move around in society. And so maybe what God might be calling me to do, and this is what I want to have a conversation with you all about, is to talk about what does it look like for us to create a family trust where we would see this money and as an act of reconciliation, uh, you all as African-American uh, 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 community will somehow give this money to empower other folks who may not have received the same kind of inheritance. Like, I, I know that, like, conventional wisdom says, I need to set my kids up for the, whatever it is, like for the best that they could possibly give. But, you know, you know my, 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 my husband's a doctor, and, and you know, we're going to be okay, but I feel like my kids need to get something more than financial security. There needs to be some kind of internal, e eternal uh, uh, understanding of the kingdom of God, and this is what I want to do. And so for the last two or three years, we've been trying to discern how to do Acts 2. This sister has got a revelation of Jesus that has caused her to be a fearless freedom fighter. I want to introduce you to a, another guy, that a guy named Don Flo, who if you ever go to North Carolina, there's these uh, automotive uh, um, um, car stores called Flo Automotives. And Don Flo, um, his dad, he was going to inherit his dad's business. And uh, his, it was a car business. And when he went to the University of Virginia, got his degree in business, he said, hey, Dad, what I want to do is I actually want to work every single job in this uh, company from, like, the janitor to the secretary to the mechanic. And I want to do every single position and get paid what they get paid so I can kind of, like, incarnationally live and walk in their shoes. And after I do every single position, from the bottom all the way up to the president, um, I wanted to go to seminary so that I could get a theological understanding and then apply this to how I run this business when it comes to takeover. So he did this. And, and one of the things that happened is that like, he's like, hey, I want to run this company as if the only place that somebody experiences the church is, is, is going to be at our company and they feel like, oh man, this is a foretaste of the kingdom of God that's to come. So let me just tell you a couple of his policies that he, he, he has. The less, if you make $70,000 or less uh, dollars, then you get the most amount of benefits in the company. Anybody that works, if you're a janitor to, to, the, press, uh, to the CEO, everybody can have their kids get a free education. If you make $70,000 or more, then you get less benefits. Now, the way it works in the world is the people who are on top get all of the benefits and all the money. But the way that it's working in this brother's um, revelation of an upside-down kingdom, he's like, hey, let me, just, let me just flip all this around. Because basically, he's had a revelation of Jesus that has had him to be a fearless freedom fighter. And let me tell you, he is not poor as a result of this. 
When I met him, he, he sent a private plane for me and a couple of friends to kind of come down and spend a day with him. He's doing okay. <laughs> so I, what I hope is that these stories give you some imagination of what does it look like to be a reconciled community that's a foretaste of the kingdom of God to come. So when you're a fearless freedom fighter and when you are faithful fanatics of Jesus, that will somehow transform you into a fearless freedom fighter that will also transform you out of love to be a focused family members. It says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, in order to understand what this is about, you really have to understand the miracle of Pentecost. When the church started, it was a group of Jewish people. Jesus' disciples were Jewish uh, men, and and there were some women hanging around. The first preachers were women. Uh, The first evangelists were women. And and so when the guys kind of caught up to what the resurrection was all about, um, the guys cornered Jesus and asked Jesus a question. Now that we understand that you are the Messiah, what I want you to help us understand, we're, we're an oppressed people group. Like, like they're in a, Jesus and his disciples were in a context similar to what the Jim Crow, uh, uh, black people in the Jim Crow were like. And so Jesus gets his disciples together and the disciples ask him this question. Jesus, when will you make Israel great again? You'll get that on the way home. And so he... <laughs> He, he, said, he said, hey, it's not for you to know the times. Like, like, you're asking the wrong questions. You're only thinking about your people. And I'm thinking about all of my people. So this is what I want you to do. Go to Jerusalem, and I want you to spend some time praying. And about 120 of them gathered. And they were, this is the time of Pentecost um, in the um, um, Jewish people's uh, um, holiday season. And there were all these different nations of the known world that came together. People from, our, from the Arab nations and from, from, from Europe and from Asia and from Africa. And they were together and they spoke different languages. And basically what happened was as they were praying, the Spirit of God came. And what the miracle of Pentecost was that people of different languages were speaking their own language, but yet understood one another. I mean, in essence, maybe another way of saying it is that the miracle of Pentecost is unity and diversity instead of unity through assimilation. And so what happened was that they got a chance to be who it was that God created them to be, that, that who they were, and they still were able to understand one another for the kingdom of God. The way my friend uh, uh, Jonathan Brooks says it this way is that it, this was such a, 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 a phenomenon that the people who did not know Jesus was like, oh, this is crazy. Y'all must be drunk. And then Peter gives the best retort that is in scriptures. He says, oh, no, we're not drunk. It's not even happy hour yet. <laughs> so, they realized that the only way that you can get unity and diversity is really by the work of the Spirit. In the world, the way that you get unity and diversity, I mean, unity is through assimilation. It's through the golden rule. He or she that has the goal makes the rules. The person that has the most power in the community is the one that forces people to assimilate 
And that's how unity oftentimes happens. But in the upside down kingdom of the God, unity happens through the spirit being at work in diversity. So like, what does this look like practically, you might be asking. You know, I got this friend of mine that I went to college with named Chris Lee. Chris is an African-American guy um, who was from a different part of Virginia than, than I grew up in. And he uh, was an artist, and I was a music, he was an art major, I was a music major. Uh, we both were doing urban ministry. Um, you know, we were just try, 18, 19 years old, trying to, like, just love Jesus. And, and so we hung out a lot. And college wasn't working out too much well for, for, for Chris. And so what Chris decided to do was to go to the military. He went to the Air Force, and he ended up selling up in New Jersey. And when he was in New Jersey, he uh, uh, met this really beautiful woman named uh, Kim. Kim, when she was in uh, about 10 years old, she and her family immigrated to the United States. And uh, she, you know, learned how to be an American citizen. And uh, they found themselves in New Jersey. And she and Chris met each other. And they were one of these couples that kind of got married within like three to four months. Now, I don't highly recommend that. That's not the point of the sermon, but I just wanted to say um, that's what happened with them. And they fell in love, and they decided to get married. And so she had family back in South, uh, South Korea, and she sent the, the called them up and said, hey, I met this really amazing guy that I fell in love with, and uh, we're going to get married, and uh, his name is Chris Lee. And they were like, oh, man, you're going to marry Lee? That's great. That's great. <laughs> And so they like, send us a picture. So then they, she sends her the picture, and she, they see the picture, and they're like, he's no Lee. He's no Lee. See, because they come from different backgrounds, they have different definitions of what Lee means. They have different cultural biases that isn't necessarily bad, but it just is what it is. And so in order for them to become family, They've had to, to, to want to understand how do you define Lee and how do you define Lee and how, how do you define Lee about this and then that. And when you go over their house, you see this beautiful hybrid of both African-American culture and Korean culture. And this is what the fruit of their uh, um, marriage has been. And they're, you got these three beautiful girls. So what is the point of my sermon? To make some babies. <laughs> you can go to the next slide. <laughs> no, but in essence, what the fruit of reconciliation, when you go, like this work is hard. But as you engage through this work, there will be fruit that you're not in control of but the Spirit is in control of, and that the Spirit will do, and you will see some fruit that, that, that you're not in control of, but is beautiful unto the Lord. So one of the things that I want to encourage you all to do is to, number one, don't be justice warriors, but be faithful fanatics of Jesus. Number two, don't do a kind of reconciliation that you aren't willing to die on the cross for. Know, knowing that the cross is essential to the resurrection. And so you have to be a fearless freedom fighter. And then number three, we want you to be focused family members, that we aren't having conversations about demographics, but we're having conversations about fa spiritual family. 
So just as we close, let's spend some time just in silence to hear what the Spirit might be saying to you about how you can make one more step of faithfulness to be a faithful fanatic of Jesus. Some of you all might need to pray a little bit more, maybe need to spend some time in Scripture or do something called fasting or I don't know. Allow the Spirit to speak to you. Some of you all might have be tight-fisted about something and, and are, are, are coming a place out of fear instead of out of faithfulness. And so maybe the Lord say, hey, just open. I, I got you. And some of you might, 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 might be thinking about more of the church as a social club than actually a family. And so let's have a little bit of silence to see what the Spirit says. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.